Welcome to our Rock City Church podcast. We are so excited to have you join us. Our desire is that you would listen with expectancy for what God wants to do in your life. We pray that you would encounter the mighty love of the Father and that you would be fired up for the more that He has for you. Have some good news to start us off with. The Lord reigns, let the earth be glad. Let distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround Him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. Before the Lord of all the earth, the heavens proclaim his righteousness and all people see his glory. Light shines on the righteous and the joy of the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous and praise his holy name. That's you. That's your cue right there. In spite of everything going on, God's still on the throne. Now, we have a role to play in all that, but let me tell you, I'm honored to be here today, and let me tell you how much we love this church. We love the heart of this church, the spirit of this church, and uh, I don't know if y'all know this, but today's actually Pastor's Appreciation Day, so uh, yeah, let's give it up for your pastor. (laughs) And... uh, I have had the opportunity that probably in some ways y'all don't get to see. I've seen your pastor interacting with other pastors in Corpus Christi, and he is a leader among leaders. Uh, he, it's awesome to see how much respect he has from other leaders in ministry here in, in our community, in, in Corpus Christi, the body of Christ, right? And uh, let me tell you what I love about it is the fact that with him, it's never about ego. It's always about the mission. Other members and other pastors and other leaders see that, and, and it's doing a great work in Corpus Christi to bring the body of Christ together so that Corpus Christi can be Corpus Christi, the body of Christ. So give it up for your pastor. I love him very much and uh, really appreciate his heart to serve. I want to start off today with a a promise from God. Uh, It's in John 16, 33. It's one you probably won't see. You know, those little encouragement calendars you get, you know, the promises of God, all the great stuff. You probably haven't seen this one in it, but it is a promise of God. It says, in this world, you will have trouble. Promise of God. Praise the Lord. No no handshakes. No no one's running up and down the aisles or anything. What's going on? It says, in this world, you will have trouble. But the rest of it says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Let me tell you, one of the places, and obviously I get a chance to talk to people a lot, but I love being in churches because of the critical hour we're in in our nation. It is really a time for the people of faith to stand up in our nation and to be bold. When my wife and I were praying about running, this was not, I don't come from a political family. I don't remember my parents ever having a sign in their yard even. I mean, they voted, they were good citizens, all those kind of things. But we were praying about it because we were asked to consider it. And, and God brought us to Joshua 1, where Joshua, God tells Joshua, he says, be strong and courageous. A few scriptures later, he says, be strong and courageous. And then you get to verse 9 and 10, he says, haven't I commanded you to be strong and courageous? This is an hour in the nation where God's telling believers, I'm commanding you to be strong and courageous. The fate of our nation depends on people of faith standing up right now and being strong and courageous. And I've been going and have the opportunity to speak in churches and and constantly I'm reminding them, you know, how many of you do the daily Bible reading? thing. Okay. You know, I'm born and bred church kids. So we've, we've been doing that. And how many of you ever come across a scripture you've read a bunch, but it's like, you've never read it. It's just like, 
oh, that's there? I never read that. So uh, some months ago, I was reading through and the story of the Red Sea and the Israelites leaving Egypt and they're headed to the promised land and they come to this obstacle, the Red Sea, right? We know the story. Um, If you know a scripture from that story, this is one you probably know is when Moses gets up in front of the people and he says, stand still and wait. Watch, the Lord's gonna deliver you today. Stand still and watch. Be at peace. Don't worry about it. Stand still and watch. The Lord will deliver you today. And some of you are like, yes, that's a word from the Lord for me. Pastor, sign me up for that ministry team, that stand still and watch ministry team. I, 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 I feel like I can do that. That's my spiritual gifting. Lord, stand still and watch. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, sometimes the church has been there too long. We've been stand still and watch. Very few of us know the very next scripture. So Moses gets up, tells the people, stand still and watch. He turns around, goes to God. It's kind of like, what are you going to do? God tells Moses, he said, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to move. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to move. Now there's a time and a place for prayer. We need prayer. Anything God does in the world starts with prayer. But sometimes he can't open the Red Sea until he sees the people of God starting to move toward it. That obstacle that's in front of us, that obstacle's in front of you in your personal life, but also us as a nation and in a body of believers trying to make an impact on the world. We can't, sometimes he's waiting on us. Sometimes he's waiting on us to move. And so I, I know this, this is a church where that's your heart and that's your passion. And uh, it's certainly a time for us to do that. Today, I wanna do something a little different. And that is talk to you a little bit about a worldview and us as believers developing a worldview. It's important that we be very intentional about developing a worldview. If you're not intentional about developing a worldview, let me assure you, the media, universities, colleges, schools, institutions, powers, and all these things throughout the world are very intentional about developing your worldview for you. Um, And so uh, scripture tells us, it says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove what is good and acceptable, the perfect will of God. So when we're watching the news and we're seeing what's going on, our mind should automatically be filtering it through a different worldview than the rest of the world filters it because we understand what God's trying to accomplish in the world. We know the end of the story, so to speak. We are people of faith. We, we have all this and we, and we have the authority that God's placed in us to be ambassadors for his kingdom in this world. And so we should be able to walk into meetings with a certain air of confidence about us, knowing that God's power is not about us. It's greater than he's than in us than he than, that is in the world. Uh, so it's always about the mission. It's always about God in us, not us, but uh, we should be able to be a part of that. And so we should have a different worldview and a different perspective than a lot of people of what's going on. And so I want to talk to you about two different worldviews that, that we find nowadays. Uh, there's, there's a couple different ways to look at history. Uh, we used to teach us in universities that there was a cyclical worldview. How many have heard that before? Uh, there's uh, history repeats itself. People have said the only thing we learn from history is that we never learn from history, right? <laughs> but, uh, but the whole idea in a cyclical worldview is there's patterns and principles in, in the world and that there's certain truths that, that the foundation of the world is, is standing upon. I mean, the whole universe is in cycles. We have weather cycles. We have the solar system cycles. We have historical cycles, all these things. It's a very scriptural worldview. As a matter of fact, Ecclesiastes says this. It says, what has happened will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. So we understand from scripture, like 
there's nothing new under the sun. And this was a long time ago when that was written. So even now, I mean, it's just, uh, we understand that there's a pattern. In, but now in our universities, what's being taught is what's called a critical worldview. In other words, the idea is that we've such advanced, it's very much based in evolution. It has to do with the fact that we're progressing. It's called progressivism. The fact that we can't learn anything from history. So that's what leads children to be rebellious to parents because what do parents know? <laughs> you know, we're leading on history. And in a global or more expansive context, it has to do with, uh, this is what allows us to think that socialism's failed 200 times in history, but you know, maybe it'll work this time. Who knows? You know, uh, this, this, is, this is what allows us to have that sort of worldview. But scripture's obviously completely different about this. Now, why are we talking about this church? Some of us are like, well, you know, politics in the church, I don't know. We're called to be salt and light. We are called to have an influence on the world. It's interesting, I think, that after thousands of years, we're waiting for Christ to come, the Messiah to come. It's been prophesied about, and he's coming, and he's on earth, and we're waiting for like his epic statement. When he comes and he delivers his message, what does he talk about? He talks about the kingdom. He talks about the kingdom. One of my favorite paintings, I think I have a, a picture of it, um, in, in the... Uh, in the Capitol, one of my favorite paintings, it's a picture of the, the signing of the Constitution. And uh, there it is. I get to see this on the way to when I go to vote. Uh, it, it's magnificent. It's huge. I mean, it would like floor to ceiling kind of thing. It's, it's huge. But if you look in the corner of it, there's a book in the corner right there. Um, and it, can you get a nice one? There's a, yeah. So you see that book right there? That's not just any book. Anybody want to guess which book it is? Very good. It's a Bible. And if you look really closely, it's actually Matthew 5. Uh, it's the Sermon on the Mount where Christ came and he said, I came to establish my kingdom. It operates on different principles than the world's kingdom and I invite you to be a part of it. As a matter of fact, I invite you not only to be a part of it, I invite you to be ambassadors in it as we grow in faith to advancing this kingdom. Now, John Adams said of this, of our country, he said, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. In other words, our constitution is a beautiful document, but it only works for people who appreciate faith and morality. It doesn't work for any other kind of people. And so when we see a decline in the church in our nation, we see, like Pastor talked about, righteousness exalts a nation. So this is why we begin to see some of the problems because our constitution only works for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the any other. And I'll give you just an example. We certainly have a responsibility in, in the House of Representatives to pass good laws and do those kind of things, not washing my hands of the responsibility to do the good due diligence of passing good laws. But how many of you know that if we, by some miracle, pass perfect laws, and let me say that would be a miracle. There's an old joke in Washington that, uh, you know, the first six months you get there, uh, you're, you're going to meetings and you're passing marvelous paintings like that. And there's hundred year old statues. And I mean, it's just, it, it's amazing, you know? And so for the first six months, you're looking around and you're like, how did I get here? And then the next six months, you're trying to get legislation passed and you work with other members. And, and then you're looking around at everybody else going, how did everybody else get here? Um, <laughs> it'll, it'll get, you'll get it in a second. But, uh, <laughs> But uh, the truth is, the, the likelihood of passing perfect, law, perfect laws is, is 
right, slim to none. No, I, we're going to do our best, and I'm going to give my best effort toward that effort. But even if by some miracle we were able to pass perfect laws, but the heart of the people were corrupt, we would still have a poor nation. Now, we have a responsibility to do what we can. We understand in our Constitution that we're unique in that our inalienable rights not, don't come from government. They come from God. They precede our government, and government was put in place to protect those inalienable rights to make sure you have a free society. One misnomer some people get, and it's very important, especially as people of faith, we understand this, the role of the federal government, the role of the federal government, our primary responsibility, some people would say, is to keep you safe. It's not to keep you safe, although that is an important priority. That's why we have military. That's why we have police. We have all those kind of things. The most important responsibility of the federal government is to keep you free. And, um, yeah, it's, it's an important distinction to make because if you flip those, you will have a federal government that gets away with anything. There will always be a good excuse to, to take away your freedoms and your liberties. Uh, but we have to understand that that's the, the role of our federal government. But there is an attack against these foundations and these pillars that we understand uh, that our nation were dependent upon. Now, why is there this kind of attack? Well, Karl Marx said this. He said, a people without a heritage are easily persuaded. If we don't have a heritage, there's, there's a big, huge effort right now to shame us out of our strengths as a nation. We have a rich history, an imperfect history, but a very rich history. In the scope of history and humanity, we are blessed we stand out as a shining city on a hill in history. The, the principles that this nation were founded upon have done more for human flourishing uh, in America and around the world than any other form of government, than any other principles that we've seen throughout history. So we have something to be proud of, but Karl Marx said, a people without a heritage are easily persuaded. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said this, he said, to destroy a people, you must first sever their roots. Now, who was Alexander Solzhenitsyn? He was a World War II Soviet veteran. He spent years on the gulag and labor camps after criticizing Stalin. Uh, he ended up winning the Nobel Peace Prize back in 1970. He said this, he said, I've spent well near 50 years working on the history of our Russian Revolution. In the process, I've read hundreds of books, collected hundreds of personal testimonies, and I've already contributed eight volumes of my own toward the effort of clearing away the rubble of that upheaval. But if I were asked today to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million of our people, I cannot put it more accurately than to repeat, men have forgotten God, and that's why all this has happened. It is so important that we do not forget who we are as a nation. And I'll just say as an individual, it's so important that you remember who God's made you to be. We can't allow the enemy to shame us out of the very things that God wants to accomplish for this nation. Psalms 11.3 said, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Ronald Reagan said this, he said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. And he says, or this, or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like to live in the United States where men were free. It is not 
and right now, if you're born in the U.S., we have been so blessed, it's sometimes hard to imagine anything other than a world where the United States is paramount and blessed and prosperous. But I can tell you, I won't go into a long lecture on everything that's happening in the world right now, but we are at a critical moment in our history. The average age and length of a superpower throughout history is about 240 to 250 years. We just celebrated on July 4th our 245th anniversary. And there's cycles to these sort of things. And one of the last cycles is decadence, uh, when a nation falls. And if you think in terms of some of the stuff that our culture has begun to accept as acceptable, uh, it, you could put us right there on that mark. And so we have a job to do, and we have to realize that the world, <laughs> there's an effort also to push us into, how many people you know, there's other nations that don't really like the United States and the blessing and influence we've been on the world? Throughout history, you go from uh, oftentimes a multipolar, which means many powers, to a bipolar, to a unipolar world. This happens often throughout history. We saw it in World War II. Leading into World War II, you had many powers that were struggling for preeminence. You know, you had France and, and Britain. You had Japan. You had Russia, um, all vying for influence. Um, and then coming out of that, we ended up with the Soviet Union and then the United States. And so you went into what was called a bipolar world. Eventually, the Soviet Union, those of us who are old enough, I being one of them, my kids not so much, but they do study, so uh, the Soviet Union collapsed, and of course, that began what was called the Pax, Romana, or Pax Americana, which would have been the period of peace that the United States has been a superpower and an influence uh, throughout the world, a positive influence throughout the world. Now, we have to understand that there are influences throughout the world that want that to change, uh, back in, I think it was 97, China and Russia signed a deal that said, we are making a compact to do everything we can to push the world into a multipolar world. Um, and let me just explain why that should matter to us as kingdom people, okay? Kingdom of God people. The multipolar world is most the most chaotic of the three. That's where the most wars are. That's where travel's restricted because of the chaos that's in the world. That's where human flourishing is, it decreases. That's where less money is spent on hospitals and schools and more on wars and, and violence and chaos. Um, so a multipolar world's not a great place to be. It's not a great place to be for the human flourishing of the world. Um, on, on the other hand, when we see, when we study history, Christ came in a unipolar world. And the gospel went forth. Um, and so this, it was the Pax Romana at the time. Um, and so uh, it's very, these, this is something that we have to understand as believers, this cycle that the world goes through. In uh, 2007, our own U.S., the U.S. Intelligence Council put forth a report that said, uh, we are moving toward a multipolar world. So they were very much aware of this effort. Iran's been talking about this for a while. China's been talking about this. Russia's been talking about this. North Korea's been talking about it. They've been very vocal about that. Sometimes as Americans, we are so America-centric about our news, we're not seeing it in this global context. But we need to learn, and especially as believers, we need to be able to uh, interpret what's going on in the news and put it in the through the lens of what's God trying to accomplish in the world. Uh, sometimes we as Americans have read the scripture, John three sixteen, as for God so loved me, praise the Lord, hallelujah. He loved me, and he does, <laughs> that he gave his only son so that I can have a blessed life, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Uh, but he said, I so love the world 
that I gave my only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, so God has a, and a, he has a mission for the world and he calls nations to play a role in that mission. I believe the United States is supposed to be a positive influence, a city on a hill. We have a unique founding, one that's based, we already talked about that, the foundation of our nation uh, as people of faith. Uh, we are called to be part of that. Uh, so anyway, there is an effort to push us into this multipolar world. And we have to understand when we're watching some of the news, first of all, when you're watching the news, about 90% of that is, is not really what's going to matter 20 years from now. You know, China's on the move. They've been after our nation. They've been basically in an all-out war against the United States and everything but collateral. Uh, in a collateral war, they've been working their way through institutions, into universities, into you know, lots of different things. And if you think coronavirus was has been difficult, I, I've sat in meetings where you know, that could be just the beginning of what they would try to do. And I'm not saying that to scare you, but we have to be very aware of the times that we're living in. Uh, scripture talked about the sons of Issachar who understood the times that they were living in. Uh, so we, again, as people of faith, we're bold, we're courageous. We believe God's with us. We have Psalms 91 and all that kind of stuff, but we have to understand what God's doing and also what the enemy's trying to accomplish in the world. So it's important that we have the United States remain as a strong influence and a positive influence in the world and that we begin to push back on some of this craziness that's happening in the world. And so what can we do to stop this? People ask that all the time. Well, I want to tell you two things. There's if my people and we the people. Scripture tells us, if my people call by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sins and heal their land. We have to be the people of God, but we're also in a nation of we the people. See, our Christian founding as a nation or our, in our, our founding as a nation of the people, by the people, for the people requires something out of us. Our faith requires everything out of us. And I can tell you, we've been working to get people out of Afghanistan. I had the opportunity to travel to India some years ago. And we talk about being bold and courageous as Christians and, you know, <laughs> some of the, the struggles we face. And I always feel weird. People are like, man, it must be tough in Washington, D.C. Well, I spent an entire day in India talking to people who are trying to build churches in India. They get kicked. They get beaten. Uh, they've had pregnant wives kicked and they'll go to jail you know, just for trying to preach the gospel, then they'll come back and say, send me back into that community. And in our office, we've been working to get people out of Afghanistan, you know, American citizens, SIVs, other things. But one of the most humbling things is the people who want to stay. Christianity is growing in Afghanistan very dramatically. It's one of the top two nations in the world by some standards of where Christianity is growing. And yet there are people who are like, yes, and we're working to get people out, but those who are saying, no, we want to stay and help continue to spread the gospel. I don't know about you, but as people who are like, well, you know, should I be bold at work? I don't know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> you know, y'all are hearing me? Okay. <laughs> uh, people have asked me, you know, is there hope for our nation? I want to tell you that it is. We are in a. Tr we we would be mistaken to think that America will continue, and even some of the joys and prosperities, the little things about life that have happened, would, are going to continue without our effort. Uh, we are in a dangerous trajectory as a nation. I do not think all hope is lost. I think God still has a plan for our nation, but it's going to take people of faith standing up and fulfilling the call that God's put on our lives as individuals and as a corporate body. Uh, I know this church believes that, but. 
Um, I was recently asked by my church to, to talk about hope. Uh, it was on July 4th, and uh, I'll just be honest with you, at the time, I really didn't want to. I was like, you know, uh, but, but I was like, you've been there, right, Pastor? Sometimes you're like preaching to yourself, right? Uh, so uh, I began to think through some of the scriptures I, I, I knew about hope, just being born and bred in the church. And I remember Jeremiah 29, 11. Now, we all love that scripture. It does show up in the encouragement calendar, right? The... Uh, <laughs> I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope in a future. And I remember this other scripture and all I could remember was one phrase from it. It said, hope does not disappoint. And I was like, I don't know. My, my hope's pretty disappointed right now. Uh, so I went and I began to look at that scripture and it was interesting to me. It said this, it says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace through God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in Romans 5, through whom we have gained access by faith into grace, which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. But in verse three, it says this, not only this, we also glory in our sufferings. Why? Because we know suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Now, when I read that scripture, I thought, well, you know, that's interesting. I, I expected suffering to produce perseverance, right? I mean, we would think that, you know, when we go through things, it produces perseverance. I expected perseverance to produce character. Most of us, when you had to you, you have to persevere through something. It builds up character within you. But then it said, character is what produces hope. And I found that very interesting. And it took me to Hebrews 11, where we talk about the hall of fame of faith and the kind of people that God talked about are, should be examples for us in faith. And it's interesting that a number of them, by the way, were political figures, you know? So you have Daniel, you have Joseph, you have Moses, all these people uh, throughout scripture. Uh, but then it gets to this in verse 30, 32 to 35. It says, what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, about Barak, about Samson, about Jephthah, about David, about Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, who quenched fiery flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Women's received, their, received back from their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to release so they might have an even better resurrection. Yeah, that's that. I think when we think of Christian, I don't know if we really picture that. When we, when other people in the world think about Christian, I don't know that they're picturing this. But this is the kind of people that God says this is what faith should produce in your life. I remember when I was at Oral Roberts University. Oral Roberts University. Uh, 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 one guy came and spoke in chapel and he said, you know, we Christians, he's like, we will sing about faith. We will preach about faith. We'll get in small groups and study faith and do all those things. And then we go find the safest, secure job. And then we, <laughs> you know, come on. <laughs> we're in meetings and we're, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to rock the boat or we, you know, we, we don't want to stand up and, you know, we just want to be, sit here and be polite and, uh, but God's called us to be influencers. He's called us to be salt and light. And we can do it, of course, righteously. We do it with kindness. But there's a difference between kindness and politeness. How many understand? Okay. Um, sometimes kindness is turning over the tables, sometimes. <laughs> um, 
Sometimes it's just standing up being bold too. I mean, you can read Paul and how he handled, I mean, it's amazing to read his life through situations, standing before city council on the way to the mission he had. He believed he was called to talk to Paul and, and how he handled these situations is amazing. You can study Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were three believers in a not believing government and how they were able to have influence in the world. Uh, so there's tons of examples of how to do this. But anyway, back to our wonderful, encouraging scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope in the future. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, we see that in our encouragement calendar, right? But, but the encouragement calendar doesn't usually put it in the context. Uh, the context is that the people of Israel were on their way into captivity, and uh, God was saying that you're going to be there for a little while, you know. So when you get there, build businesses, marry your kids, uh, do plant vineyards, plant your crops, uh, you know, do what you can to work for the peace of your city. Eventually, I am going to take you as a people out, and I know the plans I have for you. And if you read chapter 29, the rest of chapter 29 and chapter 30, he, he makes these wonderful promises. You're going to get through this. It's going to be better than ever. You're going to come out of captivity. We're going to rebuild the city. We're going to rebuild the walls. Your families are going to prosper. All this great stuff's going to happen. And so I began to look. I was like, I wonder what happened in between that promise and the fulfillment of that promise. And I went through history. I began to chart some of the things we see in the Bible of what's going on. And that's where we see some of these things like... Uh, in, uh, you know, so 597 BC, there was the exile to Babylon. Then in uh, 585, we see uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three Hebrew children, they passed a law that said everybody in society has to bow down to this statue. They said, we're not going to bow. We're not going to bow. Even if it means a fiery furnace, we're not going to bow. We're going to stand for what is right. Then you have Daniel. They passed a law that said, you cannot pray in public anymore. He said, we're going to pray anyway. We're just going to keep on living strong, keep doing what we've been doing. Uh, we're going to stand strong anyway. And then you have this story, Esther, who the people of God were, they were on their way to the, the worst day. They were facing annihilation as a people. And she believed she was called for such a time as this. And because of her stand, she was able to turn what was to be the elimination of her people into a great victory for her people in one day because she believed she was called for a time as this. I believe that we are in an era where God's people need to have this kind of faith and stand up. One of the, most people don't know this, but there's all these statues throughout. Okay, you know that. There's statues throughout the Capitol. Roughly 25 to 30% of them are ministers. Um, and one of my favorite ones is this guy named Muhlenberg. Muhlenberg, how many of you know the story of Muhlenberg? John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg. And he was a pastor, Pastor Appreciation Day. Um, and uh, if you know back then, I, if you've ever been out east and been on the tours of those old churches, a lot of times they would have like, the, the pulpit was like eight feet high, right? They would have the stairs. You should do that. I think that looked really nice up here. You can come up here and you put the robe on, people of God. Uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's great, right? Anybody here in church? So, it's all right. We're, we're going to have you all hooked up for next week. It's going to be great, man. Uh, <laughs> and, and so they, they would preach in a robe and then when they were done, you know, speaking, they would come down to the men. They would, you know, usually go in their office and take the robe off and then go greet everybody as they left the church. So he got up and he spoke. He said, there's a time for peace. There's a time for war. There's a time to cry. There's a time to, to celebrate and all this. He's speaking the the scriptures, right? Well, he comes down, he says, there's a time for peace, a time for war. And he comes down when he's done speaking. And instead of going into his office, he takes off his robe. And in the, the statue in the Capitol is he's 
pulling off a rope. You're like, okay, there's this dude getting undressed in the Capitol, right? This is his, and if you walk by the statue, you'd never know this. But what he did is he came down, he said, there's a time for peace, a time for war. He unzipped his robe and underneath he had a revolutionary war garb. He said, it's a time for war. Let's go to battle. That was the beginning of the 8th Virginia Regiment. I think 300 men from his church joined him that day. Uh, and and that's, that's how the 8th Regiment started. Now, interestingly enough, his brother was also a minister, and his brother did not like the fact that his brother did that. Uh, and so he kind of opposed his stand. He's like, you know, we shouldn't be doing that until the British came and burned his brother's church. Then his brother was all about, yeah, may, maybe we should uh, stand up to the... <laughs> it's good, good idea. I think you had this, I, I think you had this going. Uh, so let's not be the church that waits. Let's be the church that stands up. And like Shadrach, Meshach, Nabino, like Esther, like... <laughs> Let's stand up and let me tell you, if we live with that kind of boldness as people of faith in this nation, I believe God will hear our prayers. And the hope that I have for our nation is that if we live with that kind of faith, with that kind of boldness, we will see this nation taken back and us to return to be that city on a hill. And thank you so much. God bless you very much. Let's be those kind of people of faith. I, I want to I invite a couple uh, special people up, one more special than the other. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scott Bauer is a good friend of mine, uh, but also my wonderful wife, Roselle. Uh, they're going to talk to you a little bit about what's going on in Christians Engaged. Uh, this is my wonderful wife. That's my friend, Scott Bauer. Don't get them confused. Uh, <laughs> my wife and I actually met when we were 15, and, uh, and I was 17 and had a seven-year long-distance relationship. Um, she chased me around. It was crazy. It was, yeah, anyway. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot you're speaking next. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, uh, they're doing uh, wonderful things with what's going on in Christians Engaged. And, and so I wanted to give them a chance to talk to you about it. I'm not sure if I should give this to you anymore. <laughs> you're safe. You're safe. <laughs> this time. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rochelle. Um, I wanted to talk to you about Christians and Gays and just a little recap uh, with what um, Michael was talking about uh, what he, when he said, if my people, and you have the if my people, and that is us, the call to us as God's people, right? And then we have we the people, and that's the call to us as American citizens. And I have the privilege and the honor to now be an American citizen. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. When I was born, I was born in Mexico, so now I share that with you. And, and um, I know many of you here do not take that citizenship for granted, but I guess coming as an outsider, looking into this great country, it is just something that is constantly reminded to me to just not take what you have here, what we have here for granted. So... You have your constitution, amazing constitution, and then you have the word of God. And both of those demand our participation, our active, active participation. So I just want to encourage you and charge you. And it's really not a suggestion for us having this beautiful intersection where you are a citizen of this great nation that was founded on biblical principles and you are a follower of Christ. I mean, you don't have room to say, not me. You really don't have any room to say, not me. So I just press on to look and listen to what God is calling you to do. You, we all have giftings, different giftings. And I just 
I just ask you to, to ask God, where, where do I fit in? What is my part in this? And just find ways. And this is, we make it really easy with, church, with Christians Engage. It's just one of the steps that you can take. Or it might be just the beginning of many steps that you will take to be active and to become all that God wants you to become. And like, like Michael was saying, let's be that church that doesn't wait for more bad things to happen, but to stand up for truth and, and to fight for something that is so worth fighting for. I mean, th- this country, it really has been, for the world, a light. It has been for many, many, many years, decades, and we don't want that to change. We want to persevere, and we want it to make it even brighter than before. So with that, I leave you, Scott. Amen. That was good, Roselle. How many of you guys got something out of uh, Congressman's talk? Was that awesome or what? Man, that was good. Really good. Well, we love Rock City. And I tell you what, Jesus is the hope of the world. Which means you're the hope of the world, guys. You got Jesus in you. And uh, he needs us to be everything, the salt and light that we're called to be. And uh, that's our main heart with Christians Engaged. Um, this is not a telethon or some infomercial this morning. It's basically saying, guys, we, it's going to take us all to really get involved to, to another level. You know, it's sad to me that statistically in Texas, only 2% of the population decide all the local officials that, as we know over the past year, have a lot of authority. And so if you think about that, the body of Christ makes up a lot more than 2%. And I tell you what, we, we really, Christians Engaged, really try to make it simple for you. All of y'all had one of these cards. You can scan it. You can text what it says to text, or you can actually fill it out. And, and we have a table in the back. Just give it to us. That'd be great. But we really try to push the pledge wherever we're at in, in local churches. And uh, because it's just so important for us to be reminded, that's really kind of our part is just to remind you to do your part. And so we do that in three ways. We pray, vote, and engage. And so what does that look like? Well, every week we send out a weekly text. Some of you guys came up to me between services saying, hey, I I received that text. I've really enjoyed that over this last year. So every week, 5.55 p.m. on Monday, you are gonna get a little message saying, hey man, pray for our leaders or pray for your local government or pray for this, do this. And so just to remind you to keep that in your prayer uh, life each week. The second is to vote. And if you're not registered to vote, I really would really encourage you to do that. Statistically, again, it's, it's not a good place where the body of Christ, there's so many people that just aren't even registered to vote. And my father-in-law was one of them. He's like, forget that nonsense. You know, I don't make a difference anyway. You know what I mean? That was kind of his mentality. And here's Jesus believer. And I'm saying, no, you have, your vote counts. It does matter. And I'm telling you, no matter what you hear or see or do, your vote matters. And so please, register to vote if you're not voted. We, we have a register in the back. Um, that would be a great thing to do today. Um, but also, be a part of every election. And so that's what we do. We send out a reminder text to you guys saying, hey, it's primaries, or don't forget to vote this week. Uh, it's coming up. And so we want us to vote our faith, vote those biblical values, and then to educate or to engage you in some form of, of civil uh, activism, and what does that look like? It's really just like Pastor said. He described it before Michael came up here. He did it so eloquently. It's just, it takes all of us to do our part. And one of the biggest things is we say obedience 
It's all about obedience. What is God calling you to do? And if you're the salt and the light to this nation, to this city, then be the salt and light that God's called you to be. You know, I encourage you to, to run for those school board positions, to run for city council, to help out in those causes and those things. And because the, just even one local church a lot of times can turn the tide of a, of a citywide election, just one church getting involved to another level. And it blows my mind that, that we just still have, have as, as the body of Christ in, in America, have, are starting to awaken to that, to that reality and so that's really what Christians Engage is about. So it's funny reading the word uh, this morning in daily Bible reading in Jeremiah. Um, God tells Jeremiah, he says, you are to influence them, not the other way around. They are not to influence you. And it's the same way, guys, every one of you has a sphere of influence. And, and that's really what I really wanna encourage you is, is I know y'all hear it in here and it's an amazing church and, and everybody's kind of fired up, but you have a sphere of influence that God has given you and your family and your friends and your neighbors, your coworkers, all of those people in your life that God's put there, encourage them to do the same. That's really how this is gonna create movement and gonna create us to really change the atmosphere of our nation. Amen? So with that, you know, we do have a table in the back. We got great information. If you come by, just get whatever you want and uh, just get engaged. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor. All right. You can also, uh, if you're not registered to vote and you've been living under a rock, you can register to vote in the lobby. I would imagine you all are. You should be. But if you're not, sign up in the lobby to register to vote. Okay? So I love you all a whole lot. I want to ask the congressman to come back up and pray over us before we end today. And uh, guys, we're going to, we're going to make sure that we're in position personally and spiritually in our families, in our homes, in our church, in our county to do all that God calls us to do. All right. We're going to see Jesus get the reward of his suffering and the inheritance that he laid his life down for, which is all the nations of the world. That's what I believe. All right. Okay. Congressman, why don't you pray first? Why don't y'all stand? And, uh, He's going to pray first, then I'm going to pray, and then we'll head home. Father God, we just thank you for each individual that's here. We thank you for every family that's represented here. And God, we just thank you for the calling that you've placed on each person here, Lord. Each person here has a purpose that you've created them for. Lord, I pray that you help us to understand that each more every day, that you be that lamp unto our feet, that light unto our path, that you help us to know how to walk and give us the courage to walk in those steps and to take those steps, Father, to follow you and to be everything that you've called us to be. Lord, I believe that you called us to be a city on a hill. And so each person in here, Lord, whatever their sphere of influence is, Lord, and Isaiah, you talked about uh, lengthen our cords, stretch out our stakes. Uh, you are working to expand influence. So help us, Lord, to, to be obedient, that first and highest calling of just being obedient to what you call us to do. And Lord, you can expand our influence. I just pray, Lord, that you for your anointing on each person here, on, on every family here, Give us the courage and the wisdom to stand and to be bold. I thank you that this church is called to be a city to the hill onto this community, and this community a city on a hill to this nation, and this nation a city on a hill to the church. Help us all be faithful to the part that we're supposed to play in that, Lord God. And I just pray for amazing um, blessings on each of us as we continue to do that. In your name we pray. Amen.
And Lord, I just thank you so much for Michael and Rosell and their children. I pray a hedge of protection around them. Lord, I ask that your blood and your fire would surround that, them and their cars, their homes, and the work and everything that they do. Thank you, God, that their family is under the shadow of your wings. Thank you, Lord God, that you have uh, put Michael in this position for such a time as this. And I ask that you would increase his boldness, his authority, and his ability to bring effective change to our nation and also fight for our county. Thank you so much, Lord God, for uh, your love and your life, your freedom, your health. Thank you for our country. We lift our nation up to you. And I thank you for what you're doing in the body of Christ and advancing the kingdom of God uh, in America and all over the world. And we love you and we thank you. We thank you for the challenge today, for your word today. Thank you, God, for breathing your fresh life and breath into our hearts to be spirit-led in everything we do and everywhere we go. And I bless everyone here today. And thank you, God, for uh, bringing Michael and his family and the Bowers here this morning. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you want to partner with us in what God is doing here at Rock City, you can give by visiting our website at rockcitycorpus.com slash give.